You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. Follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And also uh, support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer uh, for exclusive uh, content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. And at the 5 and $10 levels or 5 and above levels, uh, $5 of, oh, fuck, the $5 and above <laughs> levels, you get access to exclusive uh, commentary tracks and unreleased or early access episodes of the podcasts so that's again at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and yeah i'm one of your hosts matt hurt and with me today as usual is tiny what's up hi tiny how's it going (laughs) oh god we are off to a great start here (laughs) so um yeah so so that uh, hi tiny it's everything going well hi yeah good 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 good, 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 good Nice, nice. Well, I am good, too. Um, nice. And, uh, oh, I wanted to say this before we get uh, into finish out the introduction and everything, but you can also buy merch for Tower Junkies at our uh, Tee Public store, link in the show notes, and also that includes um, masks and everything because the pandemic is still happening. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash ovmasks and, uh, or just search for Tower Junkies on tpublic.com, which is teepublic.com. Um, and thank you to whoever, whoever bought a mask, a shirt, and a magnet because um, I got that email and I was delighted. So thank you so much. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, thank you to all of the slew of listeners who are buying our merch so frequently that I can't even keep track of it and everything. <laughs> um so again, that's teepublic.com. <laughs> Just type in obsessive viewer or tower junkies. Nice. Uh, so tiny today on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell people what we are doing? We are going to be reviewing the first three episodes of the 2020 version of the Stand miniseries. Yes, which is currently airing on CBS All Access. Uh, the episodes we're going to be covering today, as Tiny mentioned, is episodes one through three: The End, Pocket Savior, and Blank Page. So I am super excited to finally get to this stage of our long-running stand review series and everything. I do want to mention that I had originally had the thought that I would try to do a... uh, Like a special episode or a solo episode covering the comic comic series. Hmm. I read the first... um, the first, not first issue, but the first series of comics, it's split into like five or six different uh, books, essentially. And I read the first one, and it's, I mean, it's fantastic. I, I love it. I really do. But awesome. I just don't have time to um, read the rest or comment on the rest or record on a review of the rest. So I'd yeah. love to read them. So I have all of them, I think. Nice. I've just never read them. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really good. Nice. The artwork is really cool, and... I mean, it follows the it follows the book pretty closely. Um, 
and it's it's vivid. I, I like it. Is it just like a visual adaptation of the book, or is it new stuff? Um, you know, I don't think there's much new stuff in it. Um, okay. I think at best they tweak around some stuff or they change some stuff around, but not not nearly to the extent of like an adaptation does, like gotcha. on film or TV. Okay. So I recommend it. Um, cool. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's talk about Stephen King news and check-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, I always forget which we do first. So I do have a couple of news items. I'll do that, and then we can go into check-ins if that's okay. yeah. Go for it. Bro. Okay. Do you have any news or anything? Uh, no, no, no news. Okay. So I just have a couple of things. One isn't even Stephen King related. It's just CBS All Access related. Um, CBS All Access is being rebranded to Paramount Plus on March 4th. <laughs> okay. So this is like their long, like they talked about it last year. CBS All Access is going to be no more. Instead, it's going to be Paramount Plus, which is going to have all of CBS All Access plus, I believe, Paramount's like catalog like their library of films throughout history and everything so i don't know offhand like what all is going to be on there but it's exciting i mean hopefully it's hopefully it works out for them it's i think it's their play to uh make more of a dent in the streaming platform thing kind of kind of Mm. in kind of in the same way that like hbo max had like a, a launch where it's like all encompassing everything. So okay. Um, what do you make yeah. of this news, Tiny? Um, whatever. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it makes it more appealing because they have the movies and stuff. I wonder if they're still going to have like the live stream of the NBC channel or CBS channel. That's a good question. I, I would assume that they would. Okay. Um, I would hope so because I think that's a really cool feature. Because I dabbled in that for a little bit because <clears throat> a couple years ago because the. I can't remember what it was. There was some weird legal shit going on with like the local affiliate that carried CBS. Okay. Oh, had, yeah. had a dispute with the NFL, so we couldn't watch the Colts <clears throat> games. Mm-hmm. Like anywhere. Like, so, so, like, the only way you could watch Colts game was for CBS to use CBS All Access. Jeez. Yeah. And so we paid for it for like the entire NFL season to watch the Colts games. Wow. Um, uh, so I watched it and it was okay. It was fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I probably won't, uh, continue my subscription i had issues with it again since really I've been watching the stand yeah god so that I just, sucks i am just not happy with their the the u the user interface looks better the ui yeah. looks better okay um and it ran a little smoother than um when i was watching season one of the twilight zone mm-hmm. uh it, it ran smoother than that but it's it's still just problematic and i'm yeah 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 jeez when you said it's pro- it's still problematic, I just imagine like, oh yeah, we dug up all of CBS All Access's old tweets from years ago. <laughs> um, it's canceled. Oh my god! Um, no, so so you're doing it directly from CBS All Access? Um, yeah, the app. Yeah. Have you considered canceling that and then doing it as an add-on for Amazon Prime? No, because I'm just gonna I'm basically just gonna have it for the stand and then cancel it again. So. That's fair. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do the same, really. Okay. Um, so I'm just not even going to bother with it. I, okay. And it really, it was just one pro. So I can just tell, I can say it now. Uh, I bought the $10 subscription, which is ad free. And for whatever right. reason, when I was watching episode two of the stand pocket savior, I had to watch all the ads. Really? Yeah. Episode one was ad free. But then for literally it went straight into the second episode and just all the ads popped up and I had to watch like all throughout the episode throughout the episode. Yeah. What the hell? I think it was four, four stop, four times, maybe five. 
Yeah. Screw that. Right. Oh and my then God. and then I almost like sent him an email, but then episode three yeah. started and it was back to no ads. So I I have no explanation for it. Like I checked my subscription and made sure, and like I went to like change plan, and the only other option was the seven dollar option of ad supported. And I was like, well, wow. fuck. I ha- I know I picked that. So yeah, I I don't huh. know. That was the only problem I had, though. Okay. Well, that's um, good. And I, I will say, I think, I don't know if, I don't think they stream in 4K, but, well, this is, that's sort of getting into the the um, okay. review a little bit, but it looked really good. Like the nice. the transfer or whatever, just mm-hmm. really crisp, nice image. Nice. So I will say that in their favor. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, the only thing I'm interested in with this Paramount Plus rebranding of it is that I hope that, I hope that after March 4th, they at least make some kind of reference to whether or not the Twilight Zone is going to have a third season. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they still have not said a word about that. So, hmm. Um, yeah. Also, I need to finish reviewing the second season on anthology. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, you know, and the, the whole, did HBO like merge with Warner Brothers? Did that happen? Is that what happened? I don't know. They have a partnership of some kind. Yeah. And that's, and I think ever since they did that, HBO, <laughs> HBO Max has been really awesome. Like I've been, yeah. lo- I, I've been really loving HBO Max even mm-hmm. way more than HBO Go. Oh, me like, too. I think it's been really an awesome app. Like we love yeah. going there. We've we've been watching Friends. Oh, nice. On there, it's been great. Nice. Um, so yeah, that app is phenomenal. So if CBS All Access picking up Paramount and you know having mm. some classic movies in there, I don't know if it includes any more TV shows, but definitely some question. you know some tentpole movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be good for it. But again, I'm not sure if it's going to be enough for me to maintain my subscription. But yeah, I agree. Um, I will say that CBS All Access does have. A movie that I came across today on it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, this is this is more of a letdown than anything. I will say that CBS All Access does currently have available to stream right now the movie Snow Day. Um, <laughs> That's which, what you were building through yes. the whole time. <laughs> Snow Day. Snow Day. Oh my god. Um, and Small Soldiers. Hey. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. I actually. I actually genuinely like Snow Day. Um. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen it in so many years. I barely. I don't even remember it really. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I haven't seen it in several years either. So. Oh, and it, they also have Black Sheep. Huh. And Superstar. <laughs> in the Master P vehicle, I got the hookup. You're really selling it. Yep. Oh, The Faculty. The Faculty. Ah, <laughs> uh, Faculty is a good movie. And finally, um, <laughs> to bring it back to the topic, they have Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Interesting. Yeah, which I believe is the uh, adaptation of um, Cycle of the Werewolf. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. Which brings me to the news stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen King news. So, continuing that to actual Stephen King news is that Stephen King... Stephen King got into some hot water on Twitter today during the inauguration. Um, so, and it's, it, this is kind of, it's kind of funny to me because Stephen King has gotten into the habit or has had situations come up where he has said something that is like slightly like, um, it, it's, I mean, he's a man in his 70s, not giving him, not giving him the, uh, I don't know, not, not giving him, um, 
a free pass or anything, but like he said some things that are questionable mm-hmm. <laughs> that he's gotten some blowback from. So like back when I think the Oscar nominees were announced, he mentioned something about how he's a he's an Academy voter and he votes on just the uh just the product uh, the finished product the the skill he doesn't take into account like the uh like any um uh ethnicity or anything behind the camera um, mm-hmm. and everything and he got um caught up in in a blowback thing for that <clears throat> and then also if you remember when sleeping sleeping beauties came out i don't know if we talked about this but he was on like good morning america or something with owen king and they were talking about the, like the impetus of the story and everything. And of course, Sleeping Beauties is about um, this world where all the women fall asleep um, mm-hmm. and can't be woken up and everything. Um, so he said, he said something on there where he was. He said something to the effect of, "Yeah." And so my my mind just kind of went crazy with that when we were talking about the idea and just imagining like, um, like a world where like like, you know. Laundry isn't getting done and dinner isn't getting made. <laughs> oh my god! I don't think he said it that like directly, like <laughs> everything, uh, like offensively. But like that was the kind of impression that the internet kind of. Mm-hmm. And when ran with Owen that. pitched this idea to me, when he brought this idea up, I just you know all the lights went green inside my head, and I said, "There are so many things you could do with this." Uh, I mean, first of all, how would men fold their, sh- their shirts? Uh, you know, who would clean the, the ring in the toilet? Because all these be things that, you know that, that. that men don't do. And I thought, we got a, a real possibility. Brandon, that didn't cause any big blowback. But the latest thing, <clears throat> and again, not giving him, like, I'm not, I'm not giving him a free pass or anything. I just think that he's just an old man yeah. at this point. So he had retweeted. A tweet from uh, Kaylee McEnany, the former press secretary mm-hmm. from the former administration, um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. uh, where she said something like, At the podium, I had the great privilege of sharing stories of the forgotten men and women of America, stories the media too often ignores. I also lied through my teeth, and I was a terrible instigator for uh, the lies of the... Oh, wait, no, never mind. She didn't say all that. <laughs> um, so anyway... Um, he had retweeted that and said, enjoy your next job as a cocktail waitress in Tampa. Oh, shit. And like, <laughs> that's an interesting burn. Um, but that got some blowback because it was like, uh, that's pretty misogynistic to just, and, and classist to <laughs> do like to say that, oh, she's not going to be worth anything except for being a cocktail waitress because they like cocktail waitresses work their ass off and everything, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he did tweet a follow-up saying like, I apologize to waitresses, cocktail and otherwise everywhere. It was a dumb crack. Um, so yeah. But anyway, how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I get, I, honestly, my only issue is the use of the term waitress. Like, that's oh, yeah. one of those words that doesn't even, that has a twinge of misogyny to it. Yeah. And it's, like, not in usage anymore. Like, they're called servers, mm-hmm. right? Like, anybody who yeah. says waiter or waitress, <clears throat> like, you're like, really? You still mm-hmm. say waiter or waitress? And um, it's yeah. like, it's like stewardess. Like, no one says stewardess right. anymore, right? Um, yeah, that reminds me that I saw a tweet or something about how, um, uh, I, I saw a tweet that said something to the effect of never forget that the role of uh, script super- supervisor wasn't 
wasn't called script supervisor until men started holding the position. And prior to that, when women were the script supervisors, they were just called the script girl. Oh, geez. Um, Yeah. And like I was watching for Obsessive Viewer, I was watching the 1967 French film La Samurai. And the opening credits was like, script girl is so-and-so. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Yeah. Huh. But yeah, I get that. And, and yeah, it was a bonehead thing for him to say. But yeah, I don't know. Um, he apologized, so I'm not going to hold him to that. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to hold his feet to the fire on that. Yeah. But And I don't really hold ill will towards Kaylee McEnany. She was... Really? Uh, she was fine. No. I mean, I'm well, going to com- hard disagree on that. <laughs> well, compared to Sean Spicer and uh, What's-Her-Face. Oh, yeah. Her um... um um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Yeah, yeah, there you go. And were you also thinking of Kellyanne Conway as well? No. Was was, I don't think she was no, press she secretary. Was she was just airhead number aid. one. Yeah. She was what? <laughs> airhead number one. Okay. I thought you said Aryan number one. <laughs> no. I was like, ah, oh, close enough. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, obviously she was a, you know, a mouthpiece for a moron and mm-hmm. had to espouse his ideas, but I don't know. McEnany? I feel McEnany. Yeah. yeah. I feel like just of, of the, of the press secretaries he had, she was the most palatable. She was the lesser of three evils. I'll yeah. give you that. But she was also fucking like it, like, yeah, mouthpiece of, of a terrible president. Sure. But also actively like an active participant in, the lies and misinformation and propaganda from the administration. So she yeah. does not get any pass from me. Okay. Neither does Melania Trump. I don't know about a pass. Yeah, I don't know if I give her a pass, no. but um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, check out patreon.com. <laughs> yeah. More of that stuff. Um, but yeah, so he apologized and that's cool. Um, but yeah. Um, and then he also had another tweet that said um i'm pretty much done tweeting about donald trump i hope to save I, I i hope to leave the subject with a spanish proverb that seems to sum him up god says take what you want and pay for it so yeah so <laughs> wow yep um yeah and that's all of the news that i have um okay. i do have quite a few check-ins i think nice um tiny do you have check-ins i do i have an actual nice. check-in for the first nice. time in a while very nice. Um, yeah, I started listening to different seasons. Nice. Yeah, for the first time. Awesome. Um, Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Well, you would have to know at this point because of conversations we've had, assuming that you read my emails. But <laughs> do you know what stories are in different seasons? Um, it's um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. That's the first one I've been listening to it. Um, is The Mist in there? No, sir. No, uh, oh, uh, The Body. Yes. Apt Pupil. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the fourth one. Yeah, and the, the fourth, I think the reason why is because the fourth the least one's famous. never been, yeah. yeah, it's never been adapted. Right. Yeah. And so I've never read any of the stories. I don't think I've read Apt Pupil. Interesting. Maybe I have. That might have been the only one, but um, nice. I've never, I don't think I've ever read any of these stories. Nice. Um, but I've seen, <laughs> and actually I don't think I've seen Stand By Me ever. Whoa! I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Yeah. Oh I've man, never seen it. Really? Um. So I'm very, but I'm very familiar with the adaptations. Yeah. Of these stories, but I've never read them. Huh. Um. Especially Shawshank Redemption. You know. I, oh yeah. That movie. I've 
it's probably double digits. I've seen that movie oh, at least me too. at least ten times. Um, I, I'm not just familiar with it; I know it mm-hmm. passionately. Um, so to hear the story has been. I'm only like an hour and a half into it, so mm-hmm. I'm not very far into it. But it's I, I, I fucking adore it so far. Yeah. Just the extra detail of mm-hmm. stuff that wasn't in the movie. I'm just right. I'm in love with it right now. So. Yeah, uh, we will <clears throat> we will be discussing these stories at a later date. We will in the podcast, but um, <laughs> uh, so the thing that it, so Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption was the first of of like the first uh, I, I I read it too, um, <laughs> and uh, what just struck me was like I did not realize just how. <clears throat> just how like keenly aware of everything Darabont was when he, when he, uh, adapts King. Mm -hmm. Like I was just blown away by just how exact it is to the page. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly faithful so far. Yep. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So I'm glad you're liking it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, d- d- any other check-ins? Or that's that's it. That's all okay. I have. Yeah. Nice. So I have a couple of check-ins. So um, as you may know, I think, did I talk about this last time? Um, I was recovering from COVID or I had COVID and I decided that I didn't, I didn't have the attention span or the inclination or the temperament to like sit down and watch movies. Um, <clears throat> so... I ended up like I was feeling very down and upset and angry because I had COVID and I've done everything to event to prevent getting COVID. Mm -hmm. And so as a comfort thing, and I apologize if I'm restating things that I said in the last episode, but um, as a comfort thing, I decided to break out the short story collections of Stephen King. And I listened to, um, I listened to and read several of them like i listened to different seasons four past midnight and uh nightmares and dreamscapes that's the one that i read the physical copy of Mm -hmm. Um, because audible's weird audible has nightmares and dreamscapes and night shift um they have those broken up into like three different audiobook collections oh i didn't know that yeah and i'm like i have the paperbacks on the shelf in my in my apartment I'm not going to spend three credits on a single collection. I'm just going to read it old school. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I. Yeah. Uh, oh God. In and, and it's it was it was a fun journey through some of his short fiction because I can I knew that a lot of his short fiction is celebrated, and the thing that I really loved about going through that was that i mean i it's it's just a taste of his style and everything in each installment i'm just like i I love it so much nice um but i will say to highlight one one of his novellas uh from four past midnight four past midnight's interesting because it's a collection of four novellas and the same as different seasons is but different seasons is not horror essentially it's more drama and and everything right and, and Four Past Midnight is more like it's like the horror version of like that setup of four novellas and everything. Mm-hmm. So the first one, and I, th- I've, I, ca- I honestly can't remember if I talked about it last episode, so I'll be brief. But the first one in Four Past Midnight is The Langoliers. Mm-hmm. And God, it's such a joy. I love it so much. It's not the best written one, but it's it. It's just right up my alley. Sweet. Um, but it's funny because Willem Dafoe, 
does the narration on on hmm. Audible for it, and like <clears throat> a peek behind the curtain, I have a I have a folder of less than legally downloaded um, audiobooks from Stephen King, specifically so I can just listen to something while I sleep or, or while it's playing in the background while I do work do work or something, just kind of yeah. passively listening, right? Without affecting my Audible stats, so <laughs> um, but like. I had thrown on Four Past Midnight, uh, like after I after I finished listening to it on Audible, and like I get it. I've gotten into this habit of just trying to imitate Willem Dafoe saying the title of the book of the novella, <laughs> um, because he has such a gruff and gravelly and distinctive voice, and also it just feels like it's so dated. Like it feels like it was. I think the subject matter of the story feels like it's at, it's at home in like the 90s or whenever it was written. But the way that he speaks when he says the title just sounds like very much like it was recorded in the 90s. But I'll try to do a stupid imitation of it because I'm an idiot. But um, I will go around my apartment and just go, the Langoliers. <laughs> um, so dumb. Oh, my God. But yeah. Anyway, I love the Langoliers, though. Uh, it's awesome. Sweet. Yeah. But uh, for my actual check-in for a couple of things, I uh, started <laughs> I started re-listening to The Dead Zone, hmm. and I tweeted, because uh, we're recording this January 20th, um, which was the inauguration of the 46th president, Mr. Uh, Joseph R. Biden Jr. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted when I started The Dead Zone, I tweeted and said, for some reason I feel compelled to revisit The Dead Zone this week. Not sure why. Anyway, looking forward to re-listening to the story of a corrupt and evil politician's eventual downfall. <laughs> um, so I was, I was really proud of that. Nice. Yeah, and uh, I, I really like The Dead Zone, um, and I'm glad that I am revisiting it. It's a great book. It totally is. Yeah. Um, and I also rewatched Sometimes They Come Back, and I got halfway through The Langoliers, The Langoliers miniseries. <laughs> Um, so I'll report back on a later date on those. Cool. But those are my check-ins. Nice. There are many like it, but those ones are mine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's exciting. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to talk to you about different seasons in one form or another at some point. Me too. Or another. Um, okay. So, so those are my check-ins and those are our check-ins and our Stephen King news. But before we get into the, uh, reviews for this episode, I want to mention the, uh, the results of our of our very popular um, poll for what what book and movie we should prioritize reviewing in twenty twenty one, and we had a list of several um, books to to uh, we had like eight different books that we wanted to. Uh, give the listeners a chance to tell us which one they want us to prioritize. So. What I did was I went on to Twitter and I uh, made a Twitter poll, which apparently you can only have four options on a Twitter poll. So I made two tweets. And so we got two results for two books and two movies for us to cover at some point in 2021. Hmm, okay. So I'm going to announce those books and movies now. So <clears throat> I don't know when this will happen, <laughs> but... At some point in 2021, we are going to prioritize reading the novel and watching the movie and reviewing both on the podcast of Needful Things. Mm-hmm. 
And then also, since there were two polls, um, uh, Dreamcatcher, uh, which should be fun. Yeah. So those are the results of the listener polls. Uh, Needful Things and Dreamcatcher. Tiny, how do you feel about those two selections? I'm looking forward to Needful Things, like I said, because, nice. um, yeah, it's a Castle Rock story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dreamcatcher, uh, eh, whatever. I, yeah. I've, I've read it and seen the movie. So, oh, uh, you've read it before? Yeah, but it's been... I, I honestly don't remember much of it, mm-hmm. and um, I, I remember, like, I didn't hate it or anything. Like, I didn't think it was bad. I just... Yeah. It wasn't particularly memorable. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I listened to it like last year, kind of on a whim. And uh, yeah, I think the most interesting thing that I'll have to say about it at this point is that I just think it's an interesting counter to uh, the Tommyknockers because it's another alien story and another story where Stephen King was stoned out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, this time it was because of painkillers. Right. Um, so I think those are some interesting. There are some interesting. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, parallels, maybe. parallels to to mine from that. So totally looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention that the listeners they got us dangerously close to having to l- read and watch Cell. <laughs> um, Ooh. And we're probably gonna have to do it someday. We are. We are gonna have to do it someday. And I <laughs> I, I want to say unequivocally, I love all of our listeners and everything. <laughs> But I'm not sure I will be able to forgive you for that, <laughs> for the potential anxiety of having to read and watch Cell. Yeah. Um, of course, I'm kidding. We will cover it at some point, and it should be an interesting episode or two. Um, yeah. Right. So Yeah. So, yeah. So, be on the lookout for Needful Things and Dreamcatcher in the coming months. Sometime in 2021, we will cover both of them. And, uh, yeah, you know, start saving up your Audible credits and, you know... <laughs> Uh, buy them. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. Yeah, do it. Um, okay. So that's enough preamble. Let's get into our episode where we're reviewing the first three episodes of CBS All Access's The Stand limited series, um, created and produced and everything by Josh Boone with writing by Owen King and, and a writer's room of people. I don't have the information in front of me, but anyway, <laughs> the stand miniseries. So tiny, we have now reviewed the novel in the 1994 miniseries mm-hmm. and I've, I've read some of the comics. Um, how did you feel going into this adaptation of the stand? Um, sort of optimistic. I, um, Again, I I really love the casting and everything, mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of the creative people involved, Josh Boone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I remember that they were going to do a nonlinear thing, and I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, and again, I'm not crazy about CBS All Access and all that mm-hmm. stuff, so um, I had some hesitations, but ultimately I was pretty optimistic um, about it, and. I'm excited to see a lot of these actors playing these characters. Um, nice. Uh, so yeah, I, I was optimistic going in. Nice. Um, me too. I was. I was very much excited. Anytime there's, anytime there's a new adaptation of a Stephen King work, <clears throat> I go into it pretty excited, even if it's going to be complete garbage, or even if I don't uh, want to admit that it could possibly be garbage, um, and then start a podcast about it. So, um, 
So yeah, this I was excited about as well. So all right, so let's just dig into it. So we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna. We are going to be spoiling the episodes that we're talking about in the previous episodes before uh, the episodes previous to the one we're talking about. If that makes sense. So let's go into episode one, the end. Franny, we're the only ones left alive in this whole town. And assuming there's nothing special about this place, which I think we both know is a pretty safe assumption, that means the fatality rate for this virus is well over ninety-nine percent. It means we can't afford to lose a single person. It means the future. Yes. Us. Uh, this episode of CBS All Access is The Stand, aired on December 16th, 2020. And the plot is a deadly man-made virus, Captain Trips, ravages the world's population. A number of survivors immune to the virus gather in Boulder, Colorado, USA. So, Tiny, our first episode of CBS All Access is The Stand. How did you feel about it overall? And, and let's discuss it. Uh, I actually really liked the episode. I think the first, like, third of it, I was a little, I thought, dragged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, most notably the stuff in, like, Agunquit, um, was, was kind of, kind of just dragged a little bit. Um, I, I wasn't really that into it, but I feel like once they started kind of bouncing back and forth more, um, and they started going into Harold's yeah psychosis or craziness or whatever i just mm-hmm. really got into it um i loved the structure of that um I, I i towards the end of the episode i really started to change my mind on the nonlinear thing cuz i mm-hmm. i actually thought it was really effective um yes. but i i'm also hesitant to say that cuz i think part of the reason why i'm more receptive to it than others might be is that read the book three or four times yeah. and seen the ser- the old series a couple of times. So it's like I have such a familiarity with the content mm-hmm. that I, I don't mind that it's broken up like that, you know, whereas someone else who's maybe only read the book once and it was t- 15 years ago or something, you mm-hmm. know, they might, they may not like that or someone who's just come into it and has no experience with the stand at all. Right. Um, so it's, it's hard to separate my opinion from that, I guess I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, but it's really working for me. Um, nice. it's, it's really working for me. Um, and it just seeing all the, you know, all this, all, I think all the actors did a great job too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this clearly has like a much, <laughs> much higher budget. This is more, this feels more like a, you know, uh, gold, golden age of television kind of, uh, TV show as opposed yeah. to the the low budget campiness of the '90s mm-hmm. series. I, I feel like the stand really deserves that, and it's great to see it without any camp on it. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah, I you know I I agree with you. I I loved this first episode. I honestly did. Um, the nonlinear format I found very striking in a surprising way. Mm-hmm. Um, for this episode specifically, um, uh, we'll talk more about the structure as we progress this, through this review series. But in this first episode, I was so charmed by it, and I posted, um, 
a, a post about this uh, to this effect. I was really charmed in, and I found it fascinating the way that this adaptation, like my my post overall was saying that I really like the continued conversation that's occurring between Stephen King and The Stand and Lost. Um, hmm. Because, and I'll, I'll dig up my actual post because I'm an idiot. So here's what I here's what I posted on on my Facebook page um, about the stand in in that first episode. Um, here we go. There's something really special about the cyclical conversation existing between the stand and Lost. Stephen King was a huge influence on Lost, and in particular, the stand's battle of good versus evil was a massive inspiration on Lost's writers. I remember hearing that a copy of the stand was always in the Lost writers' room uh, while they were producing the show, and I mean, Charlie Pace is basically Larry Underwood. <laughs> Um, so I just think it's really cool and special that now we have a new adaptation of The Stand that not only adopts Lost's nonlinear structure, but also has its premiere episode share the same title as Lost's series finale, which is The End. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty cool, and I really enjoyed the first episode. Um, so yeah, so did you did, did you make a nerdy connection like that? as well or are you normal i'm normal okay good yeah um, <laughs> but yeah I, I i was just really charmed by that because it, like obviously we're huge fans of lost and i remember thinking and i may have mentioned this in the reviews but i remember when reading the stand and maybe not for this review series but i think the previous time i was reading the stand um rereading it um i remember thinking like god it it it's really striking just how much lost was inspired by the stand because for some reason I didn't connect the way that the good versus evil plot played out in the stand versus how it played out in lost because lost was all about that. And it's just, it, and it was just really striking to me. So like going into this adaptation with this nonlinear structure and having flashbacks, I was like, this is, this is the way to do it in a weird way. Like it, it's very unique and it's, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's paying homage to something that paid homage to the source material. I just, I really like that cyclical kind of conversation existing between these two properties that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first episode, at least. So <laughs> we'll talk more as we progress. <laughs> um, but this episode, the end, had a focus on Stu, Franny, and uh, uh, Harold. Yeah. And let's kind of go beat for beat, not beat for beat, but like let's go through each character. How did you feel about? Stu's uh plot in this episode of the show um i feel like it played out better than the miniseries did mm-hmm. uh the 90s miniseries um i feel like his relationship excuse me with uh dr ellis mm-hmm. was much more charming and uh relatable and and mm-hmm. just just much easier to watch a lot better back and forth yeah. um Gary Sinise as Stu Redman was much more antagonistic and mm-hmm. um, had much more, you know, uh, a, a lot more things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conclusion of that in the book is it's very violent and it's mm-hmm. uh, and in the in the miniseries, you know, similar um, from the '90s, anyways. Uh, but right. so the, so this one was just, it, it felt much more. Um, while it didn't have as much drama as those, it felt, I feel like the conclusion of Stu's story in this episode, mm. um, was just so 
so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause it's something that's not, it's not really in the book and the, 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 the lines are so much different and, uh, thought that was just so freaking cool but mm-hmm. but really it was the re- relationship with him and dr ellis was just so charming and kept that kept his journey grounded so yes. so well throughout this first this first episode um i really loved that uh me too i i honestly think that maybe like the mvp of of this episode of the show is hamish linklater who plays dr ellis mm-hmm. there is something about his performance that is just so down to earth and disarming to Stu and the audience. Um, cause like, and, and I think this, I don't know how much of this is a benefit of knowing the material, um, versus going in blind, but like I, there's a part in the book and in the, in the 90, 94 miniseries where, uh, Stu fucks with them. Cause right. they've been lying to him about the how severe it is. And he's trying to, gain the upper hand and get more information out of them forcefully. And that's not in this episode. That's not in this adaptation. And I think that that's a really wise decision because what I think, what I think the relationship between Dr. Ellis and Stu is signifying is this, this, um, this connection that's formed between them, like this friendship between these two people and this, this completely dire situation and unprecedented to use a word from 2020. Um, <laughs> I was used to death. But um, but this completely unprecedented event, in using that to humanize the story, is it is it's a really strong way to write the Stu character and set him up to be one of the central figures of you know the fight against uh, between good and e- good and evil in the stand. Like it's just a really unique way to develop that character. And I I've got to say, and this is kind of putting like. I don't know, I'm jumping around a little bit. It's kind of going outside of the of the storyline of Stu in general, but overall, like this nonlinear story in this episode, I just I really was taken with it cuz my main concern with um uh with having a nonlinear structure and having flashbacks and everything was that they weren't going to be able to develop the characters in in a unique way or in a, in a strong way if they're constantly going back to the outbreak and in, in the first third of the story chronologically. But what I, th- and another fear was that they weren't going to have like enough of the outbreak and enough of their individual, um, triumphs and tribulation, uh, tribulations as they're kind of navigating the post captain trips world on their way to Boulder. So those were my concerns. And I feel like this episode really, uh, pushed those concerns down because we get plenty of the outbreak era of the story mm-hmm. and we get some very good uh stew character development and even franny and, and harold which we'll get to but i just i was really taken with this uh storyline of stew and how it honors the story and in, in the book and also strengthens uh the character of stew and puts a human face on the fight against captain trips mm-hmm. i just i thought it was really well done yeah totally yeah also, uh, the char- the character of Cobb, uh, played by oh, Daniel Sunjata. Daniel Daniel Sunjata, who uh, was in the Twilight Zone season two. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that was cool. And I've noticed a couple of actors pop up from other CBS All Access shows, or at least from the Twilight Zone. Like um, the guy that's the head of the. Um, the body crew in in the Boulder Free Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, like I was sitting there thinking, like, where do I know him from? He has such a like an authoritation, like like an authoritative presence to an extent. And mm-hmm. I remember that the main thing that I've seen him is his name is like Nicholas Leo, I think, or Leo. But he uh, was the pilot in the uh, Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet episode of the Twilight Zone oh. season one. I know him from uh, the X Files back in the day. Yes. I've heard that he is a big presence in yeah. the X-Files. I'm still in season two. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Um, that character, Cobb, I thought was so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It. Yeah. I mean... Borderline pointless, really. I... Yeah, yeah. He was a pointless antagonist. And I, I, will, I will defend it by saying that I do feel that they did... He served the purpose of of being the uh, antithesis to Doctor Ellis. Like he right. is this person who's following his own orders, or he like like J.K. Simmons says, um, he's following a script or whatever, yeah, or a book. When when society breaks down, he's just following the orders that he was left with, or something. Like right. That. If um, if he had been introduced from the beginning as as the antithesis to Dr. Ellis, I would have yeah. been better with it. He needed like three or four more scenes. I, I agree. Yeah. And like when we were reading the book, I was looking at the um the cast uh, on IMDb like way back before it aired, obviously. And like I saw like, oh, you know, Daniel Sanjata is in it. He's Cobb. Who the fuck is Cobb? He's not in the book. <laughs> right. And and even like I don't I think Dr. Ellis isn't he he's in the book, but he's a he has a different name. Um, I think, mm-hmm. but anyway, so, um, uh, he just kind of pops up and he's just this, I mean, he's, he's a cartoon. Um, yeah. he's just like an asshole. And then I did like the line where Stu was like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a doctor. He's just <laughs> like, I get that a lot. Um, it's funny. Daniel Sanjata plays a lot of characters like that. Cause he, <laughs> he was in, um, dark Knight rises. That's as, right. Uh, yeah. That like army captain yeah. who tries to come in and yeah gets killed and like after like his second or third scene yeah yep yeah uh man dark knight rises is amazing but um i know him from he was a a longtime character on the show rescue me that's right yeah i I know him from yeah okay Mm -hmm. um yeah he yeah and he did good with what he had i did i did like the makeup effects and, and the visual effects of the um the neck gorging thing right um, I am enjoying that because it's yeah. it's uh it's effective, but it's not it's not like laughable, right? Um, it's it's yeah, it's it's almost it, I don't know done improperly. It's it's a difficult task to to um, make seem genuine. I guess if I'm yeah. saying that right, um, it could it could easily look goofy and just laughable. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, and it, it's 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 really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it ends with the, his Stu's storyline in this episode ends with him encountering Starkey, played by J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. and that's. I mean, that's a really good scene. Um, it's interesting because if I remember correctly from the book, it's Starkey talking to another, uh, you know, military person, and he does the whole Yates thing, and uh, he kills himself and everything. I, I liked that they put that with Stu. Like that Yeah. I mean it, it kind of had the it, it kind of had the air of like a video game kind of thing. Like, okay, now you gotta get you've you've killed the the mid level boss by slitting his throat and everything. <laughs> and now you gotta get the now you get get 
the final level boss. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. How'd you feel about J.K. Simmons' scene? I really loved it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I can't <laughs> I can't not love J.K. Simmons. He's so yeah. great. Um, and I was so happy to see him in that role. I had no Me idea too. he was he was going to be in this series at all. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually really loved that scene. Um, nice. uh, and you know, I think in the, in the book, um, I'm trying to differentiate between the book and the miniseries from the nineties, yeah. but, um, Stu has to kind of like fight his way out. Like he doesn't really have friends yeah. in the, in the, the detention center that he's at or whatever. Mm. Um, whereas in this, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. He's sort of, he only really really just has to fight against Cobb, right. um, which is is pretty short lived, and then he mm. gets he gets this final conversation with General Starkey, and I thought that was really really good, really interesting, because mm-hmm. in because in the book and in the nineties miniseries, it's it's a very antagonistic exchange of words, and it's not it's not pleasant. He's not you know well he feels trapped, and he's trying to find a way out, he, right? He doesn't interact with Starkey at all in the in right, either. But, I think, but I'm saying, yeah. but I'm saying when he gets out, though, like, oh he, yeah, yeah, I can't remember which character it is in the book, but it's you know the guy comes in there with a gun to kill him. Right. Yeah. I think. Ah, uh, I think so. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, the way I remember it is just Starkey is talking to another kind of mid-level military guy and then right. it's leading up to him killing himself. Right. But yeah, yeah. In, the, in the book, it's some other guy comes into his. His holding room to basically kill him with a gun. Okay, it comes into Stu's holding room. Stu's holding room. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now I'm following. Um, right. Yeah, I, I agree. Kinda, I, I think that yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Right. Um, but in this one, it's it's different. He you know he has this. He gets this information. It, it doesn't have this antagonistic thing to it. Right. Um, Starkey's just letting him go. Yeah. I thought that was a, it was it was a good way to do it. I think I really liked it actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Really cool stuff. And uh, do the, we have any? The set also was super cool. Yeah, I, I was kind of. N- I, I wouldn't say nervous about it, but I was when I saw the production stills that were released a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw like that, almost futuristic, but not really futuristic, like that the very like cold, like like cold was it exposed walls? exposed concrete walls? Yeah, 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 concrete walls, and with like the red lights and everything, it just felt yeah. like oh, he's like in a like a futuristic compound or something. Right, right. Um, but I think it really worked in the context of the of the episode. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, anything else on Stu, or should we move on to Harold? I think we should move on to the other two, yeah. Okay. Before we do that, I do want to mention, did you catch the voice cameo of the President of the United States in this episode? No, I meant to look it up. It sounded familiar, but I don't know who it was. It, I, I haven't confirmed it, but it's obviously, it's definitely uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, that's what, yeah. I, that's what I thought, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was so tickled by that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, and I think he did a good job. Oh yeah, yeah. So, Fran and Harold. Um, yeah. Let's start with Fran, and then and then we'll pivot to Harold because Harold has kind of arguably the biggest arc of this episode. Mm-hmm. So Fran, played by by the way, I like James Marsden as Stu. Yeah, um, yeah. For the record, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fran Goldsmith is played by, oh my God, Odette, Odessa Young, Odessa Young, um, really charmed by her. Really? I, I, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Exact opposite. I'm not okay. a, not a fan of hers. Wow. All right. Cool. Yeah. For the record, have you watched any more than the three episodes? No. Okay, cool. No. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Something She has that girl next door kind of demeanor to her. 
Um, but she, like when she is yelling at Harold, um, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I like her performance. Um, the conversation she has with her dad in like, there's enough there to show the, um, you know, to develop her character and everything. It's not as strong as Stu's development or Harold's or uh, right. in the episode, but, um, yeah. I think it does a, does a fine enough job. how do you feel about Fran's storyline in the end? Uh, it was okay. I, I feel like there wasn't enough of her there, or she wasn't written well, or something. I don't know. Um, and I'm I'm just really not feeling Odessa Young's performance. Uh, Interesting. Just no. I I feel like she has no charm whatsoever. Like wow. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, what does Harold see in her? <laughs> and uh, and Stu later on. I just mm. I don't know. I just am not getting that from her. And that's across all three episodes. I'm just not. Wow. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, and I, I do think part of it is the writing. I don't. Yeah. I just I'm not a fan of what. She's just so along for the ride, and and that's part yeah. of her character. But she's there's so much going on in the background, like internally with her mm-hmm. um, in the book, and and that's what makes her character great. But and I understand there's complications with expressing that in a, in a movie or a you know a, a, a um, show like an mm-hmm. adaptation. It's hard to do that, but you got to find a way because I I'm just so bored with her. I you know honestly. I I can't give you any grief on that because one of the biggest issues I have with the premiere is rooted in her storyline. Mm-hmm. Nothing against her performance. She's I think I do stand by that. I think that she is I do stand by me. That <laughs> she is um <clears throat> a very apt pupil at the um I I'm not going to go into all of that. Um anyway, so I I think I, I think she's doing a fine job in terms of acting. I'm 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 enjoying her performance, but I think that it is a deeper and more emblematic uh, emblematic uh embl- what is the word I'm trying to emblematic. think of? Emblematic. Emblematic, sure. Uh problem of the writing structure itself and everything mm-hmm. that this is like her storyline in the first episode is the first inkling I get where okay, this nonlinear structure doesn't work for me. Uh, is potentially not going to work for me because that conversation with her dad in the garden, there's nothing about the pregnancy. There's nothing like there's a small hint of it, but there's nothing, there's nothing about it. And obviously they excised her, her mother storyline in it as well, which Hmm. fine. I, I understand for cutting for time and everything. Yeah. But like you said, there's so much going on internally with her character in the book that it it's like an absence of drama in favor of giving more kind of drama to Stu and Harold's story in this episode, and it just feels a little, like you said, along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And my biggest complaint, and, and it's something that's emblematic of the structure being a problem later on in, in future episodes that we'll discuss, but like that lack of having any definable inclination or or having like hiding the pregnancy storyline essentially mm-hmm. because we don't like we see her pregnant in the in the boulder free zone scene with stew and it's like at that point it's i don't like it, it just feels like okay this is going to be kind of a mess because why like why is this treated like it's some kind of mystery like why 
and maybe maybe it is more of a like an overt uh influence from lost because lost was famous and infamous for this type of thing but like like we're following these characters throughout their flashbacks and everything and then suddenly we see like oh uh the big reveal is that Stu is with with uh fran and harold is upset and he's planning to kill Stu and everything it's like there's not enough and also fran's pregnant um <laughs> and like it's it's not enough intrigue or anything to to really make it sell uh to to make a make a good case for uh for uh, to sell us on uh concealing the pregnancy storyline for a reveal i yeah. that just felt a little disingenuous to the character and and to the storyline itself yeah the whole so the the part the last like third of the episode where harold is devolving and and mm-hmm. go, we haven't gotten his character yet but right. that part and like where he bumps into Stu and Franny and she's pregnant like you were talking about mm-hmm. um that was a huge payoff for questions that we hadn't been asked yet yeah and that was the problem with the nonlinear mm-hmm. with the nonlinear storytelling and so again for people like you and me who are mm-hmm. deeply familiar with this material we can really enjoy it, and I fucking loved that part. That was my favorite mm-hmm. part of the episode by far. Just the the, the back and forth of him, just him going, devolving and oh, practicing yeah. smiling in the mirror, and he's yeah. he's typing his uh, typing manifesto. his manifesto out yeah. and everything. I just I, his voiceover, mm-hmm. I really just loved all that. I thought it was great. I was um, I was so proud of my tweet um, <laughs> I shared with you, but I'll say it here for posterity's sake. Um, I took a screenshot of one of the last scenes with Harold writing and everything, and I had the closed captions on. It says, like, I'm going to kill Stuart Dogcock uh, Dog Redmond. <laughs> and my tweet was, of all of the – something to the effect of, of all the changes they made from the novel, adding uh, – giving Stu a middle name is, is one of the ones I'm really kind of questioning here. Yeah. It's <laughs> weird. That's a weird one. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to explain that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really <laughs> love that. But again, it was it was like a big payoff for character development that hasn't happened yet. And Yes. You know, and, and that's the problem. Like, I think people – again, people who are coming to this with without experience are mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's kind of a – kind of a big jump there what what the hell happened and yeah. what's what's the problem here and but uh, that was not present in the 90s miniseries they didn't show that mm-hmm. devolvement uh, i don't even think that's a word of uh, <laughs> of Harold um and i i just love that part of the book and i've always i've always wanted to see that in this in a series and and they yeah. didn't do that in the 90s um but uh Owen Teague did such a great job with it, and I loved the yeah. writing and all that. So I, I was so happy with that. But it's, again, it just feels out of place. Absolutely, it, it's something that I, we'll talk more in depth about the structure. But I think that it is, it as we go through more episodes, the the kind of thing that ha, that develops in my brain as a criticism for the structure that they're using is that it seems to presuppose or it's presuming that the audience knows the story. Yeah. It's it's yeah. presuming that the audience is familiar with it, which is in my opinion just poor storytelling. Yeah. Like if right. it is if the onus is on the viewer to think like, "Oh, yes, well Harold is going to go crazy and Harold is is a threat and everything." Um it, if that I, it just it's it 
seems a little bit lazy. It seems like they're cutting corners in the narrative in order to because because they know how much the audience or they're assuming that the audience is going to know the details of it and that there are more many more issues that arise because of that theory that I have that they're uh, presuming that the audience knows about it in future episodes that we'll talk about but yeah. here here this is just like a little tiny like like a a, a pinpoint like a pinprick in the in the fabric of suspending my disbelief and and pulling back like pulling pulling back my fandom and revealing my criticism a little bit <laughs> like it's it feels like my i don't know it, it feels like i'm wearing like an outfit and it's slowly coming i don't know that's a weird analogy <laughs> um, yeah. um this show is making me naked um, <laughs> no uh, it's it's just it's something that wasn't as present in my in my viewing of the first episode, but as we progress, it's going to be more of an issue as we as we discuss future episodes. Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I did really like Owen Teague's performance, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that the development that they gave to Harold was really cool, in my opinion. I really like the way that they uh, are develop develop the character from the outset. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to mention. There's a line that I've watched this episode like three times. There's a line when he is being chased by the the uh, classmates, the bullies, and uh, there's a line that I I can't make sense of. I just I can't make sense of it. So he's seen, um, kind of watching Fran in the garden. Mm-hmm. And they pull him out and they, they like they are talking about like how he's that crazy kid who got suspended from school because he uh he's gonna be a school shooter or something, or like he's crazy and then he's like, Oh, I'm just a I'm a writer, it's just fiction or whatever. And then he's chased and then the the crow is there, he falls off his bike and everything, and then they don't beat him up per se, because they're they're just like, Hey, you know, stop peeping and everything. But one of them says, That's our mother for God's sake. Or something like that, or that's a, that's a mother for God's uh, God's sake, or something. And I'm like, I like I put on closed captions and everything, and I'm like, I what? I, I, that makes no sense to me whatsoever, because he's not related to Harold. His he's not related to Fran, and obviously Fran is not his mother. Hmm. Um, and it's it's and he wasn't he was only watching Fran and her dad. And like that, it just did not. Comp- I I I'm baffled by it. Did I they? did not pick up on that line, or okay. I don't. I don't remember it. Okay. If any listener out here can shed some light on this, because I I was so confused by it. Huh. Um. <coughs> let me get a timestamp. Yeah, that um, that scene did seem a little forced to me, mm-hmm. and sort of um, very stereotypical. Yeah, but but I did like the backstory it gave for Harold because that's not in the book that he, you know, uh, presumably what they're referring to is that he wrote some kind of story and right. somebody found it where somebody shoots up school or does something mm. dangerous or you know they saw it as a threat and so he got suspended. I think that's great character development for Absolutely. him, and I actually liked that a lot. Mm. But it just seemed a little too textbook cliche of a thing where they yeah. want to beat the shit out of them and they're just they're so they're so like um g- comic book 
bullies. Yeah, they are. You know. And like as much as I like that chase scene and everything yeah. and, and I I enjoyed that. I mean, it's hard not to think that it was like intentionally like it feels very much like the show is dipping its toes into like an it type of aesthetic, like right, coming right. of age kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really belong there. Yeah. Um, okay. So the timestamp for this weird ass line is, um, around five minutes into the episode, five minutes and like 37 seconds, I think, or that's when they're chasing him. And, <clears throat> Actually, I'll put in post a clip of the line in this episode because we're recording an audio commentary. I ever catch you back in this neighborhood, I'm going to shove your whole bike up your ass. You hear me? I said you fucking hear me! Good. Fucking better. Get your mom, you twisted little troll. You're going to die virgin water. That's for sure. Especially after I post these on Instagram. And then he says, fucking better. That's our mom, you twisted little troll. Hmm. And I like I can't make sense. Like who? Yeah, I don't know. And like uh Harold references Franny's brother um being dead. Um I wonder if they're referencing later. something in the sh- the short story that he got in trouble for. Maybe. But that's a weird It's a link. leap though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird yeah, like yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it'll come up in a future episode, which again is a problem of linear, yeah, linear storytelling. Right. <laughs> Non-linear storytelling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I just couldn't make sense of that. If you guys have any ideas or can make sense of it for me, please let me know. But yeah, it was just, it was perplexing. But yeah, I do like Harold's growth throughout the, throughout the episode. And it, as it flashes back and forth to the, to the, uh, Boulder free zone, Harold, um, Let's let's talk about let's talk about the character of Teddy Wyzak, mm-hmm. um, his buddy. Um, to my knowledge, he's not in the book. Um, he's just a you know a creation for the for the story to give mm-hmm. Harold someone to play off of, I guess. Which is fine. Um, how do you feel about that character? And also, um, the name Wyzak is uh, a reference to. A name that King uses, I think he's used it multiple times, but it's most fresh in my mind in the dead zone as the doctor, Dr. Wyzak. Oh, Wyzak. that's right. Okay. Um, yeah, the character's fine. Um, I, <laughs> I, I was excited to see it cause it's, he's played by, uh, Eon Bailey, the, the actor. And, uh, uh, I, yeah, I don't I, know if I've seen, I, he, he's, he seems familiar, but I can't. Yeah. Him. I'm a fan of him because he played, um, oh, I can't remember his character name, David something in Band of Brothers. And, oh, okay. Yeah, Band of Brothers is like one of my favorite things ever in the mm. history of things. Nice. Um, Paige and I watched it recently. Um, That's awesome. So I, I haven't seen him in much since Band of Brothers, really. He hasn't been in a lot. Who was he in Band of Brothers? Was he one of um, the bu- brothers? Or he was, was one, he of, one of the members of the band? <laughs> he, was one of, he was in Easy Company. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember him because everyone is in that fucking thing. <laughs> right, right. Um, That miniseries. So he's He's the one who like... He he gets injured and he's off for a while, and he like he misses all the best Bastone. Oh. He's the one who went to college and he speaks German. And um, I will have to okay. rewatch Band of Brothers. Gotcha. I can't re- actually. I can't remember his character. It's David something. Da- David David Kenyon. <laughs> oh okay. 
Yeah, it's the character he played. Yeah, not ringing any bells, but that's interesting. Yeah, huh. I, I like him as an actor. I think he does a fine job in the stand. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm liking him. I'm liking the character, but I, I feel like he's going to exist. Webster, David Webster. Oh, yeah, Webster is what they call him. Okay. Um, I think he, his character is going to exist <laughs> solely as some something for um. Harold uh, to bounce off of, basically, like you were saying. Yeah, earlier. yeah. Um, I will yeah. say I really like the idea of him being obsessed with like collecting movies and and doing like the. It's it's actually pretty charming, like him mm-hmm. like talking about like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have a drive-in movie theater, uh, for everyone. I, like I, I like that because that's something that I feel like I would want to do if I was in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So Harold's development as vis-a-vis his uh weird obsession and uh relationship with fran uh first of all i do want to mention i admit this is not going to be this is not going to reflect well on me because i can't i don't know exactly how this factors in in the stephen king world essentially but um there's a really cool when he when he comes home when harold comes home and he gets a rejection letter um from the from uh cemetery dance um, are you familiar with Cemetery Dance, like publications? No. Okay, it's like a it's a real thing. Oh, okay. And they do they've done like limited edition. That man, now that I'm thinking about, it, oh god, they would be so expensive, I'm sure. But um, limited run editions of like hard covers of some of Stephen King's books, like like a, hmm. I think they did like a 25th or something anniversary of it that was like freaking gorgeous, like stunningly gorgeous. Hmm. Um, but also I believe, I don't know exactly how he factors in with Cemetery Dance exactly, but the writer Richard Kismar, um, who Stephen King has collaborated with on Gwendy's Button, uh, Gwendy's Button Box and the forthcoming Gwendy 3, whatever it's going to be called. Um, but Richard Kismar, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm sorry, but he is... I think he might be like someone who like is an owner of cemetery dance. I don't know, but hmm. that's just kind of a cool Easter egg that I stumbled through. So Google it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and please politely correct me. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that was cool. And I really like Harold's, um, as you put it, his dev- uh, devolution throughout it, his, the way, I think that it's very good, very strong character development to have him have like the freak out after he gets home. Like he gets home, he sees the, he gets the rejection letter, he puts it on his little post and he freaks. Like, I love that just outburst of just anger when he finds like his laptop is broken. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And it recurs throughout the episode at least one or two times, uh, where he just, he's like, he's, he's, he has this pent up anger. I think that's really good for the character and where the character will eventually lead in the story. Um, unless they completely change it. Who knows? Um, (laughs) They won't completely change it. I'm sure they won't. But Mm -hmm. anyway, so yeah. Um, Harold and the, uh, his relationship and, um, kind of growth with, with Fran. How did you feel about uh, them together? I feel like it was sort of rushed. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't 
because in the, in the book, you know, he's so obsessed with her, and mm. um, and and they yes, I, my child, yes, <laughs> um, it's it, it's so great in the book, and it's fleshed out really well, um, but it it seemed to be not quite as well fleshed out in this. Mm-hmm. In this miniseries, uh, or at least in this episode, um, it's expanded a little more in episode two, yeah, um, or three. I can't remember exactly which one that scene's in, but anyways, um, I'm curious if they're going to come back to it at all, or if we'll see any more um, about how that, how influential that relationship is mm-hmm. uh, to, to Harold's um, devolvement into evil. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so that's episode one, so the end. Um, mm-hmm. Overall thoughts before we get into Blank Page, or um, not Blank Page, but Pocket Savior. Pocket Savior. Yeah, uh, again, I really liked the episode a lot, and I, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how receptive I was going to be to it, but it ended up being pretty successful, at least from my standpoint. But I think it's 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 hard for me to separate my my opinions and all my familiarity with the with the source material. But uh, I, I think I think if a le- like a layman or, or a non non king non the stand fan came to this, they mm-hmm. might be thrown by it or not not anywhere near as intrigued as as someone like you or me. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I think I do think it is a strong premiere. Um, but there are kind of some little pieces here and there that kind of uh, maybe don't fit and will maybe reveal to be more of an issue going forward. So, that's episode one. We're going to now talk about episode two, uh, Pocket Savior. Um, again, we're going to be spoiling this episode, so be warned. How do you know who I am? How do you think? Mother Abigail? Shit. I feel crazy saying her name out loud. Well, then we're all crazy because we all dreamt of her. Every single person here, as far as I know. And she told you how to be coming? Me specifically? Before everyone started arriving, she made a list of five names... People she wanted to run in the place. It was you and four others. You one of the others? That's right. About the last person she ought to trust to run anything. Why is that? What were you up to before all this? Mostly fucking things up for everyone. Disappointing the people I love. Not sure how that qualifies me, but I guess I'll have to ask. Or well, I asked the exact same question the first time I met her. She said, all God seen fit to show me is the who. Up to you to sort out the house. Uh, Pocket Savior aired on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2020 on CBS All Access. The plot is Larry tries to escape from New York City. Meanwhile, Lloyd ends up in prison and gets a visitor. So, Tiny, I have a couple of bullet points um, to kind of break it up a little bit. So, the kind of big one... Well, since he's not really that featured in it, let's talk a little bit about Lloyd. Like, he's, yeah. he's in a couple of scenes, obviously, played by Nat Wolf. Um, how did you feel about the introduction of Lloyd Henry and how he was depicted in this episode of The Stand? It it felt really brief, and but I'm okay with it. Like okay. I feel like it was the same way in the '90s miniseries. Um, Sounds about right. Like you get kind of like one scene of him with with uh, Poke. You know, mm. it's not it's not a lot, but we really don't need a lot. I don't think. Right. Um. Because the crux of his character is just how how he was selected by. Randall Flagg and how right. Randall Flagg exploited that and really gave him the illusion of a choice, right? And that's yeah. that's the crux of his character, and that's where they took their time with him and did a good job. I still don't think anyone has quite uh, between the '90s miniseries and this one has quite 
done enough justice to how desperate Lloyd Henry was in prison. Because mm-hmm. in the book, it's disturbing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just it, it, and being in his head in the book is very disturbing. And just mm-hmm. the desperation on him is just is is palpable. And uh, neither of the series have have really fully captured that, in my opinion. But this this time with with uh, uh, Nat Wolf, I think they did a much better job. I agree. It it's it's a stronger depiction of it um yeah. and everything but i do want to mention that scene with poke in the convenience store i first of all the i i made a note the actor that plays poke is um jeremy jones mm-hmm. don't know him from anything that i can think of but he like he was fantastic in that one scene yeah i thought he was amazing and i love the way that they that they played out that scene like he sneezes and kills kills the sh- uh the the customer mm-hmm. and just i i i love it i think that it's succinct and it's 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 thrilling in a weirdly like morbidly comic like dark comic way um i i, I love that i love that and it's one instance where i feel like the nonlinear structure is i mean it's kind of superfluous to it but it's it's interesting enough like i like that our first introduction of lloyd is him being walked into his cell and then telling his cellmate like i'm I'm lloyd henry i was framed and then we get a flashback of of that i i just i don't know i i really i i liked nat wolf's uh the way he captured the character so i love nat wolf but he was damn near unrecognizable in this Oh yeah, I mean, in I knew, a good I knew, way or a bad way, <laughs> in, in a good way. Nice, nice. Because um, I, I just always picture him as such a. He's always been his characters have always been so uh, innocent young kid mm-hmm. kind of characters, and which he, is exactly why I wanted him to be Nick Andrews. Exactly, for yeah. Several years, he would have been such a great Nick Andrews. He really would have um, been. But yeah, I, I, I loved him in this, especially the iconic iconic scene where um, Randall Flagg comes to him. Yes, and um, we will talk about that. Yeah. Um, with him pleading with the guard, I thought was a really nice, really nice thing. Cause he, he has this energy to him, like this kind of animated kind of slightly flamboyant kind of way about him. Like he, he kind of communicates with his whole body. Like he's like pleading with the guard and he's like, like embracing this, the bars a little bit. And he's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really, it's a fine line, but it, it's really well done in that scene. But he, I don't know. I, I I think that the desperation was pretty pretty well done in that mm-hmm. um in in his storyline in this episode. I did like that they went for the kind of you know eating a calf um eating the calf of the dead uh, cellmate. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, without actually showing it. So right, right. Any other thoughts on his imprisonment and everything, or should we talk about the big scene with him and Randy? Uh, the big scene. Okay. Yeah. Um, so up until this point, we haven't really seen much of Randall Flagg that much. Like he's been in visions and everything, um, for the characters. Um, oh, we didn't talk about the ending of the first episode, but that's fine. Right. Um, just to go back to that real quick, how did you feel about the ending where the last scene of the first episode, we see Campion in the car and then we like leaving the, leaving the base, how did you feel about the the kind of the shot of Randall Flag with his uh, foot in the door? Foot in the door. How did you feel about that? I thought it was really fun. I, okay. Just because it's it's such a small thing, and it like mm. I, I love how because in the book that's not the case at all. Like right. like re- this is truly a 
in, in the book, this event, you know, the uh, apocalypse, basically, mm-hmm. is is something that happens independently of Randall Flagg mm-hmm. or the the Man in Black, the Dark Man, whatever you want to call him, and he shows up to exploit that event, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in this miniseries, it's sort of like he caused it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a fun twist that, you know, it's not in the book, but it, it some people probably aren't a fan of it, but I thought it was really cool. I just, how involved he was in the actual, like the, the linchpin of what caused the apocalypse, like campion, <laughs> get, campion getting out. I thought that was, you know, the, 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 the wink in the mirror at the end. I like that. Yeah. I, I think that that's a cool visual to leave that episode on. I am a purist for the story, though. I, I didn't like that he was the indirect cause of the outbreak. Okay. Um, because I feel like it's a it's a stronger story or it's a stronger statement to have him be this opportunistic demon person that is just he's. Uh, it makes it a little more. To have him cause it makes it more calculated that he has this following and everything, and he's he's does this because in the book, like it's he's like kind of a emperor with no clothes kind of thing. Like he's fearful that his power isn't that strong, and like here, yeah, right. it's like okay, well he is kind of all powerful and everything, but it's also like it would be better if he was more opportunistic rather than causing it. So I, don't I, know. I see that. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. <laughs> So back to Pocket Savior, uh, the scene at the end with Lloyd and Randall Flagg. How did you feel about Alexander Skarsgård's performance, and how do you feel he is? How do you feel that he's shaping up as Randall Flagg? Uh, I'm I'm a fan so far. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely liking him better than the the campy comical version from the 90s mm. um which i figured i was going to yeah um but yeah he's he's good so far i don't i don't think he's really had an oper- in the, within these first 3 episodes i don't think he's had a really great chance to shine yet sure um not not to say the batting the writing's bad or anything like that i'm just saying he hasn't he hasn't gone full Randall flag yet like right. he's not he's not getting desperate yet he's not just being ridiculously violent but um yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan, and I actually I really like the the format that they're going with for the visions of him. Oh, interesting. Okay, I, I'm really digging that. I think it's because you know it's it's clear that someone's having a dream mm-hmm. or a vision, and and it's but it's not like some weird wavy background or you know yeah something shitty. Like I I don't know. I, I kind of I, I just kind of like it. I think it's it was a good idea. I. I'll meet you halfway. I I appreciate what they're going for. I just feel like the the actual set of it is a little just empty and and it's it's kind of similar to like the scene in the miniseries in the '90s miniseries where him and Dana Jurgens are in just this empty room. <laughs> like it just feels like there's not enough like to dress up that scene, hmm. that location. Um, it's a minor nitpick, but it just feels a little weird and the fact that they keep reusing it for everyone's visions of them is just like, okay, I mean, that's whatever. I agree with that, but they're also each, each time it's tailored for the person. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause there's like the whole, uh, I think when he was talking to, is it Harold? Yeah. When Harold sees him, there's like the, the neon signs of like the women, like the, the strippers and, yeah. um, Nikki Andros had the, um, they, he had the blackjack table, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought that was clever, and like they, it, it, they put yeah. there's a unique twist on each one, I guess. Uh, yeah, and and I'll I'll concede to that point and say yes, I I do agree that they do change it up. I just think that the broader background, like the the kind of 
the way that it looks in the broad sense of it just looks a little like like if you bump into one of the big ass boulders and stuff it'll be styrofoam <laughs> okay um, all right yeah that's just that's my thinking on it so, okay yeah so yeah the desperation in lloyd's uh voice and everything his performance is really good yeah. and i i think that this scene with him freeing him from the cell is is the strongest that the show has been in these two episodes in terms of writing. Like they really mm-hmm. kind of brought it for, for Randall flag in this scene. Yeah. Um, and Alexander Skarsgård is amazing at just doing this, doing that charm manipulation thing. Like when he's like, I just had a, I just had a big meal with, you know, so, and he talks about like gravy and fried chicken or something like whatever mm-hmm. he says. It's just like, like he's really selling this and like you see, Nat Wolf's performance being like, yeah, like being mesmerized by it. I I think that that is perfectly Randall Flagg in, in, in depiction. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, let's go back to Larry Underwood. Yeah. Um. How... Uh, so, I have a couple of notes, like a couple... I have Larry and Rita versus Larry and Nadine... Um, that mm-hmm. we can talk about, and then we can talk about Larry in the Boulder Free Zone. So, yeah, let's talk about the um, the depiction of Larry and Rita post, like during the outbreak, and Larry and Nadine as they make their way to Boulder. Um, so this is of these three episodes, this is the best way that the show has utilized the nonlinear structure, in my opinion. Um, I think that there is a really interesting case to be made for the characterization as it relates to the nonlinear structure in this episode of Larry Underwood played by, Oh God, what's his name? Um, Yovan Adepo. Yeah. I, I may be mispronouncing that, but um, blown away by something about him is just perfect for me. I, I love this casting. He's been good. Yeah. And his performance. Sure. It, like it's, it's really good. And, um, it, 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 I like the way that it depicts Larry and Rita, like right at the outset of it, and then you see the growth in the way that he is with Larry, is with Nadine in the later in the chronology of it, and I like how those are spliced and intercut between like the overall thing of him being in the free zone, um, because you get the sense, at least I got the sense that. And even this is maybe a hollow thing because I know the actual like intricacies of the characters and everything from the book, but I like the way that you see Larry being short with Rita and being kind of like using her, not necessarily using her, but being in an intimate uh, connection with her or forming an, in, in, uh, an intimate connection with her and then like willing to just kind of abandon her when she is ready to like when she tries to escape from the sewer and everything um and just like going off on his own i think that that speaks to the pre the pre-committee member larry underwood and (laughs) pre-nadine larry underwood in an interesting way yeah um and it's counterbalanced by the scenes with nadine where he's bringing her food and and he's bonding with joe um, I just, I just really think that this is where the, this is the biggest strength so far of the nonlinear format. So, yeah, how did you feel about that? Did that connect with you? And how do you feel about those, 
those pairings throughout the episode. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think it's interesting, the kind of the three women in, in Larry's life that we know of that mm-hmm. he kind of had ro- romantic encounters with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nadine, um, Rita, and then Lucy Swan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's in a miniseries, we didn't have Rita. Right. Just, just Nadine mm-hmm. in New York, um, which I thought was fine. But yeah. um, I, I'm curious if they're going to use all three in this series. Me too. It's going to be interesting to see how all those play out and, mm-hmm. and, and how the evolution of his character in relation to all three of them will be interesting. Yeah. Um, and also, I think Lu- Lucy Swan is going to be in the series, right? I actually don't know. I feel Maybe. like they have somebody cast for her. Let me... I feel like they do because um, I was noticing. Let me. Oh shoot! Never mind. Ah. She may not be in it. Uh, okay. The the actress. So the actress Julie Lawry is going to show oh, up later. Yeah. Uh, the actress who plays Julie Lawry um, is uh, yeah Catherine McNamara. Yeah. She's um, an attractive blonde woman mm-hmm. and. Um, Amber oh, Heard yeah. is an attractive blonde woman, and Heather Graham is an attractive blonde woman. So I'm like, it's like he has a type. He and certainly has a type, right? But but yeah. it's but I think that's that's important for the for his character and how he relates to them. He sees he sees all three characters or all three women in each one of them. If that makes sense, yeah. And I'm um, trying to remember if his one night stand was an attractive blonde lady. No, she wasn't. No, okay, she wasn't. But uh, um, which, by the way, that scene. <laughs> It's not say, stated this way in the miniseries, but I remember because she says, you're not a nice guy and throw, throws shit at him as he leaves. He's like, you're not a nice guy. She's like, you're not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But I think in the in the book and in the narration of the audiobook, I think she I think she says, you ain't no nice guy. Right. You ain't no nice guy. And so anytime I uh, like yell at my cat to not do something that she's not supposed to be doing. I just imagine her yelling like, you ain't no nice guy. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So anyway, of course you do. <laughs> but that's, that's interesting. I do, I do definitely see that kind of parallel, like, um, the blonde, uh, attractive woman kind of, yeah. Uh, Larry Underwood thing. Right. And I, I think it's, um, I really liked, um, when he meets Rita mm-hmm. because I think, I think it's pretty obvious that she was, she's sitting on the bench in the rain, Mm -hmm. looking at the pond. She was about to kill herself. Yeah. And, and he didn't pick up on that. I weirdly didn't pick up on that either, but that's absolutely right. Because she has the gun and everything. Yeah. Um, and and so she's already suicidal. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just kind of a happy accident that he found her and, and he feels guilty for her suicide mm-hmm. because of the way he treated her and i don't think he treated her really badly in this in this series i mean i right. think he he kind of I, I don't think him him breaking away from her was i think it made much more sense in this series than it did in the book yeah much more I'll justifiable agree. i'll put it that way yeah because she was being a little bit irrational mm-hmm. um but uh he feels obviously he feels guilty for her suicide throughout the book mm-hmm. um but it's it's interesting. I don't think in the book it was so clear cut that she was suicidal. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, but in the series, it really so. is like yeah. she was going to kill herself no matter what. That was going to happen. That's so interesting because yeah. that scene where they meet in the park, like I, because there's that kind of 
another uh, something else about this about this miniseries that I'm I'm kind of really uh, enamored with is the way that they they're utilizing music like they're doing like 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 music drops and like mm-hmm. music and yeah everything. I, I picked up on it too yeah um but and I just I'm really liking the choices that they make throughout uh, throughout those episodes but um when they do when when we meet Rita it's like it has this I think it's just musical score but it's like this it's like this kind of more like kind of otherworldly type of tone i don't know enough about music to really pinpoint and describe Mm -hmm. it but my memory of it from watching the episode is that it's it's like this this weird like ephemeral kind of music and my read of that what (laughs) initially was that oh this is like a weird like twisted like meet cute between them Mm -hmm. and that like this is just showing that they're gonna have a, a strong bond and everything so that when everything happens later like you know, it's a it's a shock. But now that I'm thinking about it, if that wasn't the intention, or if it was the intention, additionally to that, I think that that is also signaling to us that she is like contemplating suicide because it is it is a very weird, like haunting kind of score. Mm, yeah, uh, my memory of it. So that's interesting. That just completely recontextualized that scene for me. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so their bond is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they, they, they have the intercourse, um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a really cool, like intimate scene. Yeah. Um, and then we get the people that try to, try to buy her. Right. (laughs) Um, I thought that was a pretty cool, I, I don't know. I mean, it was sudden and it was also kind of. I don't know. It was it was neat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I was fine with it. Yeah. I thought it was, uh, and it was a good onus for the, um, for their separation and stuff like that. Um, we didn't have the Lincoln Tunnel thing. That was Um, my next point. Yeah, which is so you know it's so iconic from the book. How did you feel about that change? I'm 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 okay with it. I thought Mm. the sewer thing was was still pretty gross and and pretty shocking. I don't think it's as effective as. Stephen King's writing in the in the in the tunnel and everything. I agree. Um, I think that's hard to top or or hard. That's hard to depict, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought it was I thought it was still pretty good, and it wasn't as it wasn't as satisfying, but it it served its purpose. I totally agree. Um, yeah. I did I I did feel like it was it it served enough of a purpose for Larry's character development. Uh, to to be fine like i was fine with it being changed from the source material in terms of the location and right everything so i was fine with it i thought it was good mm-hmm. um and also just the vision of his mother like that was that was really effective it was um, yeah yeah and we also didn't talk about wayne stuckey um the the guy when he's at his premiere and everything um I yeah that was fine like that was, yeah because in the book, he's like his drug buddy that gets him all the drugs, and it's like the party that he's having because he has all the money. It's like obviously they don't have enough time for that, right? Right. So I like the change that they made there. Yeah, that was all right. Yep. So how did you feel about what we saw of Larry and Nadine in this in this episode? So we see kind of this, and this can fold into his the talk about Larry arriving at the Boulder Free Zone. But like, how did you feel about that? Did you detect like a stark difference between? how he was treated treating with Rita and how uh, he interacted with Nadine and Joe. Yeah. I feel like he's, he's being much more cautious, you know, mm-hmm. um, because he feels guilty about how, what he did to Rita and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I, I get it. And I think that's pretty prevalent and pretty obvious, but I feel like in the, in the book and in, in the nineties miniseries, um, 
Larry is very enamored by Nadine. Yeah. And he, he wants her bad. Like, yeah. Um, and he eventually overcomes that uh, to Nadine's detriment. But um, mm-hmm. it, so so far in the series, I don't I don't feel that. I yeah. I think I think he feels some affection for mm. her, um, but I don't feel like he has that you know like full on schoolboy crush thing yeah, going on. The like, lust he had. For right, her. right. Um, that's that's not there, and I, yeah. I, it could be there later. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it is because I feel like that's really important yeah. for his character, and I, I I hope that's there. I hope there's a Lucy Swan's character, but they could do something where he has a. Th- I don't I don't know. I, I'm yeah. I, I could see them finding a way to not have the Lucy Swan character, and that's fine mm-hmm. um, if if they do it right. But um, I think it's important that he really starts to fall for Nadine, and we haven't really seen that yet in these first three episodes. Yeah, and that is another issue that I have. Like this is this is where it's slowly starting to like build up the nonlinear format being a problem with me because yeah, in the chronology, like he's in they're in the Boulder Free Zone now. Like they have there is a ton of backstory that we have not seen between Larry and Nadine. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's presented like it's some kind of mystery. Like like the end of the episode is Rita taking the pills and everything and mm-hmm. like we don't like we don't get the flashback to him meeting Nadine until the next episode and it's like it just feels like it's concealing this pairing and this relationship or what have you between Larry and Nadine for the sake of for no other reason than like they're not they they don't want to tell the story linearly <laughs> like right. in a linear way mm-hmm um, it doesn't. It doesn't have like any type of uh, strong payoff at the end of the episode or, or anything. I I just feel like it's kind of I don't know. But I did like where like he's showing um the house or or the how like they're getting settled into the house and I do think it was I think at some point he says something like he's going to sleep on the couch or something or sleep like downstairs or whatever. And I think yeah. that that's where I like the the nonlinear structure because that communicates the growth of the character between his companionship with the two women in the chronology. Right. But I just feel like the mystery of it all is kind of a little unnecessary when the characterization could be so much stronger. Right. I hope it's something they improve in later episodes. Me too. Me too. Um, so him in the Boulder free zone. So they have, and this will be the last thing for this episode, for this for this review of this episode. But um, the, he meets Stu, and like it's this. It, this feels like it's just too much catching up. Like we need to catch up on on what's going on because they're not showing us anything that's in anything that's happening, in, like in the chronology and everything. Because we're just setting up characters and everything. So Stu is in the car with Larry and. They're they're like so. How did you know my name and everything? He's like, oh, you know, we, we all dreamed of Mother Abigail and everything. And then uh, and she told us to, she gave us a list of five names, and you were on it. And then he's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm a, a member of the committee and everything, and I'm going to be in charge of with the rest of you and everything. It's like it's it's way too much heavy lifting in the story to have the this information delivered through dialogue. Yeah. When, they could have just done it in a linear way. <laughs> right. And then also, like, I just, I really had a problem with him just being like, oh, and, you know, is Harold here? Because I've been following his signs and everything. It's like, 
yes, you're telling us this, but we're not seeing it because right. we haven't seen any of any of Larry's journey outside of his companionship with Rita and 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 uh, Nadine. Mm-hmm. And that just that bothered that just it takes me out of the show. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it bugs me. It's tiresome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yep. It's 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 the issues you get with nonlinearness, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, there's got to be a way around it. Yeah, and I have like I have such a I don't know if I'd say it now, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it in in when we review the third episode. So that's fine. Um, overall thoughts on um, Pocket Savior? Um, definitely a lot of things to like. Um, mm-hmm. I agree about uh, Yovana Depo. I like him as Larry Underwood yeah. a lot, um, and I really liked Heather Graham too. Um, oh, me too. Hadn't seen her in much lately, and she she was great. Yeah. Great, great casting for Rita. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like all that stuff. I actually I like Amber Heard a lot as me too as uh, Nadine. I think that's great casting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, a lot a lot of things to like, but um, some some of the changes are a little worrisome or like, you know, I, I'm just curious how they're going to, how all this is going to incorporate in the larger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're going to come back to things or, or, uh, flesh things out more in, in other episodes because of the yeah. nonlinear story, you know, that's, it's, it's starting to show the cracks are starting to show more, I guess with the, the, no, the nonlinearness. Yeah. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. So that's our review of pocket savior. My name is Tom Cohen. I'm 42 years old and developmentally disabled. Please do not be alarmed by my behavior, for I have difficulty reading social cues. If you find my behavior inappropriate to the situation, please tell me, and I will endeavor to change. I am a hard worker, very strong, and capable of basic physical labor. I cannot read, but I can follow simple direction. If you know of employment opportunities, please contact Ms. Sykes at the Center for Handicapable Workers. What's the matter, mister? What? You know, you sure are quiet. M-O-O-N, that spells quiet. (sighs) Did I forget to tell you I can't read? Sometimes I do. It's a lot to remember. (sighs) My name is Tom Cohen. I'm 42 years old. All right, and so we are going to go into our review of Blank Page, which is episode three of The Stand from uh, CBS All Access. This originally aired on uh, New Year's Eve 2020. The plot for Blank Page is Flag communicates with Nick and Nadine and sends a message to (laughs) Abigail and the committee. So, Tiny, I have a couple of notes to delineate the different topics and everything. So I'm going to get us kicked off with um, the crucified Vegas guy that comes by Mm -hmm. and everything. How did you feel about that plot line and how it played out throughout the episode, culminating in his weird uh, uh, flag speaking through him and threatening the committee and killing him? Yeah, I thought it was actually a a pretty cool idea. Um, I I actually liked it. I thought it was kind of a cool way to get the ball rolling there. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's it's a little out of pace. Again, the the nonlinearness, it just feels it feels a little out of place being introduced at this point because um, it's like we don't even know how everybody got to the free zone yet and yeah it's it's just a little a little um jarring for that reason um but i thought it was a good idea i i, mm. I kind of like the idea of him showing up with the wounds and then uh randall flag kind of speaks through him and he has this whole freak out thing um uh I, yeah I, th- I thought it was a an interesting a, pr- a pretty cool creative choice yeah um I'll agree for the most part. I, the thing that I had a problem with, and um, 
I also spoke to this kind of issue in the miniseries from 94, but I don't really like Flag speaking to Mother Abigail or interacting with Mother Abigail directly. Yeah. Um, if only because I feel like the strength of the story is that, first of all, the strength of the story is this um, unsureness, like this, this uncertainty of whether or not things are real. Like actually having the committee members see Flag speak through a guy with crucifix wounds that stumbled into their town um and actually like threatened directly everyone like that's that feels like a misstep because the dreams are are what fuels the you know fear of the dark man and everything and actually having like a physical representation even if that in that brief moment and that physical display of supernatural ability and everything just feels like a shortcut that didn't need to be taken hmm. um yeah, I don't that's know. Fair. You, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, not really much else to say about that right. plot line. Yeah. But uh, there was a flashback to Stu and uh, Stu meeting up with Harold and Fran. Mm-hmm. Um, I first of all, I love Owen Teague in this. Yeah, um, yeah. He's like, there's a lot. Like, there's there's a facial facial expression of this weird, like, sarcastic smile he does after he like is like yelling at Fran and like I have like a quick quote of it but he's like or you can throw in with this happy asshole um who might be Jeffrey Dahmer or something and then <laughs> yeah. he does this weird like smile where he's like <laughs> and like I just want to take the screenshot of that and like have that be like a reaction gif or something yeah <laughs> um, but how would you feel about this uh this introductory scene in the third fucking episode? <laughs> <laughs> I I liked it quite a bit actually. Um nice. j- for for the reason you just stated um and I I, I like the way that Stu approaches like so that's one of the great things about the end of the world you can pretty much take a piss wherever you want, you know. <laughs> that was fun. I I actually really like James Mar- James Marsden in this scene too. Yeah. Um just I'd, his his cool-headedness, you know. Yeah. I think he is a fantastic <clears throat> Stu Redman. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I love how um, Harold can't can't draw his gun. Yes. <clears throat> That's just perfect, Harold. Mm-hmm. Um, just awesome. I love that. But uh, but yeah, and, and it's kind of a fun departure from the book because you know this mm-hmm. they don't meet and then separate in the book, do they? Um, no, I don't think so. I think they just meet, no, no, because they yeah. just meet up. And, they meet up and they're, they're together from that point forward. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. the end of the first third of the book. Yeah. Um, is them meeting. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I thought that was an interesting creative choice and mm-hmm. I think it, it inside this episode has a bit of payoff because mm-hmm. later on Stu meets Glenn Bateman and yeah. he sees a painting that Glenn painted of, of her and mm-hmm. some of the supernaturality starts to flesh out more yeah i thought that was a, a pretty I, good payoff i really like that too yeah um i i like everything about that aspect of it mm-hmm. which speaking of glenn bateman <laughs> um i've got to say for the record i never had any doubt that greg kinnear was not going to just freaking nail this part mm-hmm. and he is such a great glenn bateman in oh, my yeah. opinion just hitting it out of the park just so yeah. great yeah the i love kind it of the just weird <clears throat> sort of hippie-ish uh sociological kind of guy they don't really go into that that much but he's just he's 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 great he's fantastic Greg Kinnear always seems like he's so poised like mm-hmm. he's so comfortable in every character he's ever played yeah, oh, I, yeah. and I just I mean, whether it's Little Miss Sunshine or mm-hmm. uh, so, uh something's gotta give 
Uh, sure, I never saw that. What's the movie with him and Jack Nicholson? Oh, oh um, as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Which is also the name of the band of one of our friends and yes. obsessive viewer co-host Mike White. Yes, it is. Check out their Patreon. patreoncom slash as good as it gets. Yeah. Think, so he's he's always just so. I just his presence on screen. I've always loved it, and I knew he, I just knew he was going to crush Glenn Bateman, and he's yeah. he did just in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing with the paintings, um, I feel like that is. I don't. I don't remember that being the unifying thing from the book because the book has them all dreaming the same dreams, and that's how they come together and, and figure out that oh, we need to find this old lady. Right. But I love the kind of shortcut of the of the paintings because that seems like it's borrowing heavily from the plot of Dumaki, um, which is interesting because. Castle Rock also had like a reference to Dumaki to an extent, like a light reference at the end of season one. Um, with one of the characters being in like the house and from Dumaki, mm. which is interesting that these two like modern Stephen King properties is like toying with Dumaki and Dumaki has never been adapted or anything. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I like that. Did you make that connection? Because it's been a long time since you've read Dumaki. I didn't. Okay. Did not. <clears throat> okay. Um. So yeah. So anything else about Glenn Bateman, or should we? No, I'm hoping we're gonna get some more of them. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. Uh, so this episode, and, and this is the kind of where the title comes from, is uh, Nick Andros. We get our mm-hmm. introduction of Nick Andros. How did you feel about um, Henry Zaga, I think is his name? Henry Zaga, yeah. Yeah, his portrayal of Nick and how they uh, uh, created Nick in this in this miniseries so far. Yeah, he's good. He's... Uh... He's fine. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not blown away by him or anything, but mm. he's definitely not doing a bad job. Right. Um and um yeah, I I've liked everything so far. I I kind of I, I was okay with them skipping the whole sheriff thing and and all that drama because they sure. they did it in an in an interesting way. Yeah. Where he wakes up in the hospital and his attackers there handcuffed and everything. Mm-hmm. I think that encapsulates all that in a pretty succinct way. Yeah, I I totally agree. That that's yeah. a good uh way to kind of economize the the character right development. Totally. And he still has the attack. He was still attacked and mm-hmm. I I I was I I was intrigued by the whole him losing his eye thing. Yeah, I thought that was um, interesting. I can't I don't know why. <laughs> like, I think I think it was just a way for another way for uh Randall Flagg to tempt him. Yeah, okay. Which which isn't in the book. No. Him being tempted like that. No, um, it's really not cuz I actually liked it a lot in the in the in the series when he has mm-hmm. his vision. Yeah. Um and he's against at the blackjack table and stuff like that. I I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um I can't tell if it's supposed to be like a you know, since Nick isn't going to be his right-hand man, that's why he went to Lloyd because you know, non-linear. I can't right. tell. But anyway, right? Which one came first? Yeah, yeah. The which came first, the Lord or the Henry, or not Henry, but the Lord <laughs> or the Nick? I don't know. Right. Um. But yeah, uh, yeah. I I I like his performance, and I like that. I I kind of I'm I'm indifferent to this idea that he is Mother Abigail's like mouthpiece, his his press secretary, her press secretary, right? Um. It's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's something. Like, Initially, between. right. Initially, I'm not really a fan, mm-hmm. but I could see it playing out in a satisfactory way. Okay. Like, they might be able to pull it off, but, it, like, right off the bat, and when it was, the concept was first introduced, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not, 
I don't know. I'm not that receptive to it, but um, yeah, I I know what you mean. They also introduced um, Tom Cullen. Yes, <clears throat> and so this is one of the part. This is maybe the one part of the whole <laughs> series that I was most worried about because yeah. you know I was thinking how, this book was written in the you know 80s whatever mm-hmm. <clears throat> 70s 80s and the series came out in the 90s and you know. I was wondering, how do you do this character in 2020? Right. Because it's you have to be very careful, right? Yeah. Be- because, and again, I'm not being politically correct. I'm just saying this could be a highly offensive character. Uh, yeah, um, And And the character in the 90s miniseries was was relatively offensive. And, right. And not, you know, not not in the best taste, right? No. And in the book, you know, obviously a more extreme version of that as well. So, sure. um, not that I'm holding that against either the book or the 90s series, but, right. um, I was just worried about how they were going to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And with this first scene, this is all we have so far of Tom Cullen. Yeah. I think they kind of nailed it. I, man, I was really, really pleasantly surprised. I, fucking love i really Brad really Wayne really Wayne. liked yes and, and i'm a fan of his everything mm-hmm. i've seen him in he does a great job yeah and i had a lot of confidence in him to pull this off but i was like it's gonna be tricky yeah and yep. man they threaded that fucking needle it oh yeah i, <clears throat> I was i was i am all for it um yeah i just wish we had more <laughs> these three episodes like my kind of thing and we can we can get back here this might be a small detractor here but the thing that i'm coming to come unglued about with the nonlinear structure is that they have nine episodes and like granted i don't know the production schedule i don't know how like the production went or anything but if they have if they set out to make nine episodes of this sprawling epic story that itself is split into three distinct sections like i don't mind them creating a nonlinear structure out of the story. I really don't mind that at all. I love it as an homage to Lost, and I think that it, given the proper guidance, it could be done particularly well. I don't think they're doing it well. <laughs> um, what I think they should have done, and maybe I'll talk more about this in the next episode, but what they should have done is they should have taken the first three episodes and used that to set up the Boulder Free Zone like more properly because we only see snippets. We see like throughout the first three episodes, we see them okay the the body team taking like taking um like disposing of the bodies and clean, cleaning out the houses and stuff and the church and everything, and <clears throat> and then suddenly there's a committee and we don't see them like naming the committee or right. we don't see them like doing anything there and then yeah. like all of it's jumbled. But if they had done like two concurrent linear stories intersecting but taking place in different time different time frames in the chronology having like the introduction of each character in the Boulder Free Zone like each member of the committee and everything and then flashing back to their experience in the outbreak and everything it would have been a much much more solid first third of this miniseries yeah in but but now like we we are a third of the way through this miniseries, and we, I mean, we know that Trash Can Man is in the show. Right. We've not seen him. Mm-hmm. We're still being introduced to characters. Right. We've had one scene with several, like one individual scene 
to showcase the several like major players for mm-hmm. the most part, like like a, a handful of the several major players, I should say. And it just it feels way too jumbled to me. Yeah, so, yeah. and um, Mother Abigail is basically still just a concept at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and the whole mini no, series no Vegas. opens. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I will say, No Vegas is fine because that it does come up in like that's true that's true you're right but the whole mother abigail thing it's like the whole miniseries opens with a voiceover of her like presumably the scene later like that will come later in the show where she's telling them to go on their walk to you know right everything like to to go to vegas make their stand yeah yeah and it's like this is an ominous opening narration but it's not like we get much of anything with Mother Abigail in these three episodes. Right. Like, at most, we get, oh, hey, she's, you know, Nick is going to be her voice and everything. And it's just, it just feels, like, very sloppy and way too dependent on the audience knowing the uh, the story before going into this right. weird structure. Right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anything else? Um. No, no, I think that's good. I, um, how did you feel about the whole young Nadine thing? Oh yeah, I have okay. a feeling you're not a fan of it. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I'm fine with it. Okay. <laughs> a funny anecdote is that they couldn't get the rights, or they don't have the rights to use Ouija boards. Oh really? So they just created a generic planchette game. Yeah, right. Um, I I liked that. I thought that was fine. Yeah. Well, um, it it does. Th- it again adds into the, to the whole idea that it wasn't uh, that it was a premeditated thing by the man in black. That's that's true, and yeah. I mean, and that is also that is true to the book. Like, there the flag was with her in spirit throughout, like her childhood and everything, and that's why she was saving him, saving herself for him. And everything. So that that's true to the narrative. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Um, like that scene, like she, there is a scene in the book where she, as a child, experiences that same thing. And then when she... Man, finds, I forgot about that from the book. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that that's true to the book. And I, I do appreciate that. And that also, now that you put that in my mind about, you know, showing that he's uh, a player in the bigger narrative and everything, that actually makes me feel a little bit more okay with uh, the ending of the first episode. Yeah, his foot in the door. Yeah. Okay. Um. So much like Randall Flagg, we've put our foot in the door of <laughs> reviewing this uh this nine episode miniseries of The Stand. Um. Any closing thoughts on Blank Page? Oh, we didn't really talk about the um. Nick is tempted by Flagg, and he is um visited by mother abigail like he has a choice between the two and Mm -hmm. i I like that in terms of you know good versus evil and everything um how'd you feel about alexander skarsgård and whoopi goldberg in their respective scenes with nick um i I feel like whoopi goldberg hasn't had a chance yet to just take off and and that's fine but again i really like the the temptation scenes with Mm -hmm. the vision scenes with uh with uh Randall Flag, I think, I for whatever reason they're working really well on me. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I really dig it. I think he's very conniving and tricksterish and and stuff like that, and and not in a com in like a f- full on comedy way like the yeah. ni- the nineties miniseries was. Right. Um. He's he's doing a good job. He's yeah. Absolutely. They are. In ter- like of all the criticisms I have, like aside from all the criticisms I have, I will say without question. They're nailing the tone of Randall Flagg 
mm-hmm. both in the writing and in the way, like the the way that they're holding him back, like in showing him and everything, and also just in the performance. Like Alexander Skarsgård is just perfect in this role. Best Randall flag yet. Yep. Uh, yep. To the ninety series, and then the yeah. the movie that we shall not speak of. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there was a movie. I don't. I don't know. Um, check out our five cumulative hours discussing that fucking movie. Um, anyway, so and a commentary track. Yeah. Um, but the commentary track is only like eighty two minutes because that's how long the fucking movie is yeah anyway so uh we're now uh to go back to my cheesy thing um i i first of all i I liked the episode overall thoughts on blank page good good bad yeah good pretty pretty good episode yeah yeah solid um solid for me still a little bit shaky and everything hoping that it improves in future episodes but still enjoying it because i mean it's a stephen king adaptation and it's a stephen king adaptation of one of his most celebrated and most dense works of fiction so i'm mm-hmm. i'm loving what they're achieving with it in general um having said that so that's like our three episodes and stuff um mm-hmm. <laughs> like next up we're going to uh, uh the next episode of this podcast will be a discussion of the next three episodes episodes four through six which um the episode four is titled the house of the dead episode five is titled fear and loathing in new vegas and episode six i believe is going to be titled the vigil um this is uh we're recording this the night before the sixth episode airs so um stay tuned for that um closing thoughts for the episode tiny anything you want to say any more about the stand and the first three episodes um no i'm just looking forward to more nice same here and we will be back to discuss them uh at some point so <laughs> uh yeah so having said all that once again check out the patreon uh that we do it's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer if you pledge one or two dollars per month you get access to an rss feed with us just bullshitting there's over a hundred episodes on there of just us kind of talking and everything across all podcasts that we do um they're very lax very laid back and informative but there's usually a kind of specific like loose topic for all of them so check it out i'm actually really proud of that it's what we have the clips of at the end of each episode so check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer that's at one or two dollars per month but if you pledge five dollars per month you get that plus exclusive commentary tracks right now you can get uh for five dollars uh, if you pledge five dollars per month you get uh, instant access to all of that plus uh, I think at this point uh, there's seven commentary tracks on there, including the 2019 Pet Cemetery uh, adaptation. And uh, yeah, and then if you pledge ten dollars, you get access to early access and unreleased stuff. Right now we have uh, up there for the ten dollar pledge, we have that episode of Mr. Mercedes, the novel that we uh, reviewed the novel like two years ago with the intention of doing um, a whole thing. But I went ahead and threw that on the. Uh, unreleased side of the Patreon feed and uh, yeah so check that out so again that's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh, I think that'll do it for this episode yep yeah alright well thank you so much uh, Tiny for chatting with me yeah yeah. and uh, yeah long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy!
Wow. Okay. It's it's. I'm telling you, like the first, like I went in for the consultation when I was first diagnosed, like almost two mm. years ago, and the lady was getting ready to stick me. And I was like, I, I'm not a, f- I don't. I don't freak out about needles, but right. nobody likes needles, right? Yeah. So I was sitting there kind of getting myself ready, like, okay, and she stuck it in. I was like, oh, oh, shit. All right. Well, that's fucking nothing. Like, I, I literally could not feel it. <laughs> Sounds like my personal life. <laughs> that's what she said, right? <laughs> she stuck it in, and I couldn't even feel it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast... You can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at ObsessiveViewer.com, and on Twitter, at ObsessiveViewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective. Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash as good as it gets band. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty! My great pleasure this delightful post-apocalypse season will be to kill Mr. Stuart Dogcock Redman. And just maybe, I'll kill her, too. You ain't no nice guy! Oh my god.